worship our God in heaven. You understand that? We gather in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not that he comes to us. We go to him in the spirit. So we have privilege now to hear God speak from heaven through his word, my spirit. So in preparation, let's hear God's word. So we'll be reading from the book of Romans, what is called Paul's magnum opus, Proclamation of the Gospel, chapter 8. Hear now God's word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's take a moment in preparation to say thank you to God for his great love through this worship service. Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father to come into his presence and worship him. call this morning comes from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us do what we've been commanded and let us sing unto the Lord and let us shout 
and let us give thanks. I will begin with, uh, if you need it, it is 570 in the Psalter hymnal, uh, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow, and then hymn number 224, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. So let us stand, if you, if you will, if you... unto us that ability by faith, using the eyes of faith, to behold your glory that's here in this place. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here. We have gathered in your name. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing the work, applying the work of Christ to our lives drawing us here, speaking to us through your word. We pray, O triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we who are redeemed of the Lord, come with joy into your very presence. We pray that you would search us and try us and see if there be any hidden sin, any hidden thing. Remove it far from us, applying the blood of Christ that shed once for all as we confess our sins and look to you for forgiveness. We pray that we would be able today to make our public profession before you in our confession of faith, and that we would be able to hear you speak through 
the word today in the sermon, that our prayers, that our praises, that our offerings, that our fellowship afterwards, that our time today, this day, is your day, and we are your people. May you be glorified. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we have opportunity and a calling to confess our sin. And we'll do that with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. And that reading comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 11 through 20. I'll read the light type if we could all respond in the dark. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be become guilty before God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words that you inspired and guided Paul to write. Many of them found in the Psalms, the Old Testament, your declaration of man apart from you. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so, Father, we know in Adam we were born in sin, and we do sin. And even though in Christ we are new creatures, yet we still are in this body of death. We are still battling against the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And though we are called to be your children, and to honor and glorify you, and to love you with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, yet we acknowledge that we have failed. We have fallen short of honoring your name that you've placed upon us. And in that sense, we have taken your name in vain. We have sinned against you by placing other things more important, especially our own wills. I want my way. And so, Lord, we know that we have created other idols, other gods, even ourselves. And so we have sinned against you. We have offended you in thought, in word, in deed. And we have sinned against those you've created in your image. We've sinned against our spouses, our children, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow men. In ways, whether it be in the heart or expressing outwardly. And so we do, want, do not want to minimize them. We do not want to ignore them. We do not want to dismiss them. 
but we want to do what you command us to do, and that is confess our sins. That is to agree with you what you already know and what you are convicting us of. And so we do come to you and confess our sins. And we look to the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your life. You took our place. You suffered and died so that we may have life. You fulfilled all righteousness so that we, by just being justified by faith, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your continual love in interceding and praying for us, even now. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the work of Christ again in our lives. And we pray that you would enable us by faith to understand that we are forgiven. You have taken our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. So far have you removed our transgressions from us. And you claim us to be your children. We pray, O Lord, that you would open our lips so we may show forth our thanksgiving and praise for the forgiveness we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I've said before, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we embrace judgment because in embracing judgment, we embrace the cross. And so if you'll turn in your hymnals to 350, hymn number 350, beneath the cross of Jesus... I fain would take my stand. So let us stand and let us sing of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ.
So we have an opportunity also to make a public profession of our faith. And in that hymnal, on page number 852, <coughs> we have an opportunity to confess with the church for the past almost 2,000 years the faith using the Nicene Creed. And again, the pri- primary focus of the Nicene Creed is the triune God, person, and work in history. And so let us uh, confess our faith. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that you believe? I believe in one God. And of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And again, remember the little footnote there. Uh, when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, it means the word Catholic means universal. Um, and as it says, one church across all times, places, and peoples. Um, so the Roman Catholic Church is across the street. We are the part of the Catholic Church. Um, there is a difference. Also, you will find in your bulletin this little half sheet, and if you will read with me responsively. Uh, we're looking at the Canons of Dort. We're in the third and fourth head of doctrine, focusing on the corruption of man, this conversion to God and the manner thereof, Articles 12 and 13, and um, in particular, focusing on being born again or regeneration. It's a great statement. Uh, I'll read the uh, light type, if you could please Uh, Read the dark type. Article 12. And this is that regeneration so highly extolled in Scripture. That renewal. New creation. Resurrection from the dead. Making alive. Which God works in us without our aid. But this is in no wise affected merely by the external preaching of the gospel by moral suasion, or such a mode of operation that, after God has performed his part, 
it still remains in the power of man to be regenerated or not, to be converted or to continue unconverted. But it is evidently a supernatural work, most powerful, and at the same time most delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable, not inferior in efficacy to creation or the resurrection from the dead, as the scripture inspired by the author of this work declares, so that all in whose heart God works in this marvelous manner are certainly, infallibly, and effectually regenerated and do actually believe. Is not only actuated and influenced by God, but in consequence of this influence, becomes itself active. Wherefore also man himself is rightly said to believe and repent by virtue of that grace received. The manner of this operation cannot be fully comprehended by believers in this life. Nevertheless, they are satisfied to know and experience that by this grace of God, they are enabled to believe with the heart and to love their Savior. Isn't that awesome? Uh, there's, I, I, unfortunately, I don't have all the scripture references that could be quoted here. Did you notice those statements? Renewal, new creation, resurrection, making alive. All of those words, all those phrases are found in the scriptures. Those are quotes from the scriptures. Different ways of talking about what it means to be born again. As Jonah declared from the fish's belly, salvation is of the Lord. Right? He had to learn it the hard way, didn't he? But salvation is of the Lord. So is regeneration. Um, this week I had a conversation with a Mormon and we were talking, and the idea of being born again came up, and I asked this person, what does it mean to be born again? And the answer was, well, it's by me being a good person, by me doing things that I'm born again. And I said, well, that's not what the Bible says. Uh, well, uh, as I thought about that, what, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Nicodemus said, great te- a teacher, a rabbi, um, we know that you have great things to say. Tell, t- teach me. And what did Jesus say? You must be born again. And what was Nicodemus' response? Basically what he said, what must I do to be born again? And what did, G- what did Jesus say? It's here in the, in the text. Well, let's just read it rather than me misquoting it. So it's John chapter 3. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Is that what I need to do? And Jesus said, no. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is, is spirit. Do not marvel, I say to you, you must be born again. And so what does he say? Jesus says, well, how does being born again occur? He says... The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. 
So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. In other words, it's a work of God. It's a supernatural work of God. God takes a dead person and makes them alive. Now, what do you mean a dead person? Well, we're all born dead in Adam, right? Paul says that everyone, including, he included himself, dead in trespasses and sins. But God, in his great mercy, with his great love, while we were yet dead, he made us alive. He regenerated us. And so now that person is a new creature in Christ. He's been raised from the dead. Notice what it says there in our, in our article, which God works in us without our aid. Okay? There are some that say, well, I get regenerated when I exercise faith in the gospel, then regeneration comes. So that is basically saying what the Mormons said, regeneration occurs when I do something. I'm the author of my regeneration. Is that what Paul says? Is that what the Bible says? And the answer is no. Regeneration is grace, not debt, not works. Do you understand that? There's many in the Christian community that's got it backwards. It's a supernatural work, most powerful, and at the same time, notice what it says, most delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable. Not inferior in the power and efficacy to creation or the resurrection from the dead. You know that God raises people from the dead today? Dead spiritually through the gospel? And the blessing is we get to be involved. We get to watch the spirit. We share the gospel and someone who's dead comes to faith through the work of the spirit. Not us, but the gospel. And what an amazing opportunity. Notice that. So that all in whose heart God works in this mysterious manner are certainly infallibly and effectually regenerated and do actually believe. So faith is involved, but faith is the fruit, not the root. Do you understand that? Faith is the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, not the cause of regeneration. But yet faith is, response, is there, and notice what it says. Those who are, uh, the will is renewed actuated, influenced, and becomes active. And so we are called to repent and believe. So do we do something? Yeah, we respond to the work of God. It's the evidence of the Spirit is working. Is We hate our sin and we love our Savior. Do you love Jesus? Do you? Do you know him? We talked about that last week, right? Eternal life is knowing him. Do you know him? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Or is he just a religious concept? Is he just something we talk about? Do you know him personally? But notice at the very end, a call for humility and worship. One who is greater than ourselves, greater than our mind, is the one that we are called to worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. As we prepare for the sermon, uh, if you'll once again take up your hymnal and turn with me to 517, again talking about that grace, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he has made known. Let's stand and sing.
Please turn in your Bibles to our Old Testament scripture reading. And by the way, there are Bibles over here and there are Bibles over there if you would like one. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, you can please take it home with you. Um, So 2 Samuel chapter 12 is our Old Testament scripture reading. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll be reading through verse 15. Hear now the word of God. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate at his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. 
and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives in your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is, uh, who is born to you shall surely die. The Nathan departed to his house. And then also in the Old Testament, turning to uh, David's response to this confrontation in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit." Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for the work of your spirit and the work of your prophet, Nathan, and the word of God coming to David 
bringing that conviction and conversion and repentance. And we thank you for the prayer that we have uh, that David wrote afterwards that many of us have prayed and many of us have read and thought about the, the work of uh, the Spirit convicting of sin, of righteousness, and judgment in the life of David and also in our lives. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing now as we uh, consider the last two verses in the book of James, as we come to the end of this uh, sermon series in the book of James. Uh, Help us to be able to recall what we've learned and also to apply these two uh, verses as we see the evidence of your great aggressive love toward us in and through Christ. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's go ahead, first of all, and read our text. So, if you'll turn to James, the letter of James, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So we'll consider that text. You've probably heard this dialogue from a movie. You may have heard that. You may have watched the movie. The husband... Ask his wife, do you love me? His wife says, what? Do I what? Do you love me? She says, do I love you? With our daughter getting married and there's trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out, go inside, go lag down. Maybe it's indigestion. Goldie, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? I'm your wife. I know, but do you love me? Do I I love you? For 25 years I've cooked your meals, washed your clothes, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cows. For 25 years, why talk about love right now? He goes on later. But do you love me? Do I love you? For 25 years I've cooked for him, claimed for him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? What is love? How do you define love? Jesus is a good definition, very good. I define love as caring for something outside of yourself. Do you love your wife? Do you love your husband? Do you love your children? Do you love your neighbor? Are you concerned and care about them before yourself? That's what love is. Isn't that God's love? His care for us? For God so loved, greater love is no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends who were his enemies. So we're looking at love here in our text today. The call for us to love our neighbor, 
to, uh, the call for God, of God to love those who have wandered from the truth. So the outline is there in the bulletin. God's aggressive love, he, I'm sorry, God aggressively loves his chosen in Christ. One of the ways he expresses that love today is through our calling to love and care for one another. Okay? God shows his love through you and me. That's our calling. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. And the rest of the fruits are all based on that one. So just a reminder, an overview of the book. We've been, we've been working our way through the book of James, and James is taking the command of Jesus seriously, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching to do or observe all that I command you. And so James is taking what Jesus has commanded and applying it to the beloved who are scattered throughout the world. So another way of saying this is that James is a discipleship manual, a manual of teaching and how to follow Jesus. But one of the other things that we noted in our study was is that James was Jesus' brother, biological half-brother, and uh, I have a feeling that when you looked at James, you could see a reflection of Jesus physically. That's my theory. My children, I have a son who came and visited one time, and, and he came up here and he stood during a Bible study, and someone said, you can't say that's not your son. The family resemblance, right? Well, what is James trying to do here, or the Lord is doing through James? He is developing a family resemblance to Jesus in our lives. So that when others see you, they see Jesus. Is that important? Is that your desire? Are you like John the Baptist? He must increase and I must decrease. That when they see me, they see him. If, if that happens, I've accomplished why I'm here, is that they would see Jesus. If you're thinking contrary to that, come and talk to me afterwards. We, we need to talk. Um, so anyway, so that's what James is doing throughout the letter. How do I express love for Jesus? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so here he is in enabling us to understand how to do that. So the first point in, in, the, uh, in the sermon is based on that first two words in verse 19, Brethren, or my brethren. James is talking to people that are not his biological brothers and sisters. Who is he talking to? The church, the family of God, right? And if, you were, if you've been following along, how many times has James said Brothers. Throughout the letter, from the very beginning all the way through, there's a point in time where he stops calling them brothers and is rebuking them, but then he switches back to brothers and sisters. So he is talking to the flock, he's talking to the sheep, he's talking to the family, and he is following the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, and is emulating him. So that first point, God's love through Christ. As I said before, Christ laid down his life. 
He said, there's no greater love than this. He purchased for God a people by his own blood. How expensive was that? How precious was the blood of Jesus Christ? Is there anything in the world more precious than that? Is there anything in the world more precious than that which he purchased? You get that. You. Is more pre- you are more precious than anything else in the world. How do I know? Because Jesus' blood bought for him, his people. He purchased for God a people by his own blood. God the Father so loved the world that he gave, not passively, but aggressively gave, sent his son. Spirit is the spirit of love. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, why was Jesus raised from the dead? In chapter 4 of Romans, he says, So when they heard that, well, I'm sorry, I'm trying, no wonder, I'm looking at the wrong book, sorry about that. Romans 4.25, who was delivered for the sake of our offenses and was raised for the sake of our justification. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, Paul says, it's so that we are declared righteous before God in Christ. Now, there's a lot of other reasons why he rose from the dead, proved that he's the Son of God and, and so on. But Paul focused in on, how do I know that I am, I am accepted by God? How do I know that I can stand before God and he accepts me, that I am righteous in Christ before God? Because of that phrase, in Christ. He rose from the dead, and so therefore I am his. He claims me. He adopts me. He regenerates me. He does the work. He's sanctifying me. He will glorify me. All of this is the evidence of the love of God, love of Christ. And also Jesus came to gather his flock like a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? What's the job of a shepherd? It's to feed the flock, right? The shepherd lives with the sheep. And when the pasture land is all eaten up, what does he do? He moves them on to another pasture. He kept, keeps them fed. He waters them. He brings them to places where they're safe. He protects them. He guides them. Jesus asked someone, do you love me? Record in the Bible. Anybody remember that? After Jesus rose from the dead? Turn to Peter. Do you love me? Three times. Like Tevia. Do you love me? And what did, what did Peter say? I have kindly affection towards you. 
I love you. What did Jesus call him to do? If you love me, feed my sheep. I'm going, I'm ascending, you're here. If you love me, feed my sheep. Be that shepherd, Peter. God's guidance. How is it that God guides us? Well, if you look in the Gospel of John, it says in chapter 14, Jesus preparing for the cross, preparing his disciples. In verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. The Holy Spirit has been given to the church, has been given to us, as a means or an expression of the love of God. Again, when was the last time you said, thank you Holy Spirit for putting up with me? Have you ever said that? He's holy. Sin offends him. As I've said before, sin is not just breaking the law, but slapping him in the face. Slapping God in the face. It's an offense. That's why he wants us to confess and repent of that. And he sent the Spirit to do that work, just like in David's life. He guides and he protects us. Does God love his flock? Does God love his people, his elect? When did he begin to love us? In eternity. Predestined. Election. Right? Before knew us. He chose to love us before we were created. Is that comforting? It's comforting to know that you are loved of God from eternity. How do you know you're loved? Because Jesus came. How do you know that you're loved? Because the Spirit works. How do you know that you're loved? Because you're part of the people of God. Second point, God's love through James. So we're looking again at this letter. Here, this letter is a pastoral letter. It is a feeding, if you will. The purpose, among other things, is to reach those who have wandered off. That's our text. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. The very, very beginning of the book, his first statement when he writes to his audience, he says, James, the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, are they scattered because they've wandered from the truth, or are they scattered because of persecution or something else? Uh, James doesn't say, but he says that they're scattered. So he's writing to a flock that's been scattered. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so he's bringing us back together. He's concerned about those who have been scattered or have wandered off. 
Jesus says that he is concerned for the wandering sheep, right? Anybody know where that is found? Where Jesus says that the shepherd will leave the 99 and go after the one that has wandered off, that's Matthew 18, verse 12. Jesus cares for the wanderer. Does he care for the other 99? Of course. But in our text today, James is concerned for one who's wandered from the truth. How dangerous is that? How dangerous is it to wander from the truth? That means that you had the truth and you left it. You turned your back on it and now you're pursuing falsehood. Your own opinion. What the world thinks. What the flesh, the devil. Is it dangerous to wander from the truth? That's one of the frightening things for you kids. You may not realize what you have. And I hope and pray that you don't have to go through years of wandering in falsehood, in error, and even die wandering from the truth. Familiarity breeds contempt. You understand you have the truth. Understand, appreciate it. The truth is in Jesus. So what we've seen in this letter is James's love in action. He starts off at the very beginning, if you remember, he says, My brethren, verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. When our faith is tested, what is the test? Am I going to embrace the truth or am I going to wander off? Am I going to reject the truth and I'm going to do whatever I feel like or whatever others say or so? So God tests our faith. What is the basis of our faith? It's the truth. It's the Bible. It's God's word. If we embrace something else, we've wandered from the truth. So what James does in and through the, has been doing through the letter is, is he warns us of the wandering, the testing of our faith, and then he commands us, here's how to overcome. Here is the antidote to this temptation. Like a shepherd, he feeds us. And now here in our text, he ends his letter with love in action. He calls our attention to the third point. God's love through us. Paul, another shepherd, another pastor, if you will, apostle, in preparing his son in the faith, Timothy, just before he passes, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others 
also, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So you, so you heard that. The things that you, uh, that you have heard from me, you faith, committed to faithful men who are able to teach others also. How many generations there? How many? Four. Timothy, you've heard the gospel. You've heard the truth from me. Embrace it and pass it on. But pass it on in such a way that those who receive it will then be able to pass it on. Is that what we are? Are we the fruit of that ministry? 2,000 years ago, it's been passed on from generation to generation to generation, and we, boom, it's in our lap. Praise God for the truth, right? But what does Paul say? Okay, your job is to share it with your children. Share it with others and in a way that they can share it with someone else. We are called to love. Our calling is to love those whom God has called, those who God has loved. That community, that caring, concerned community. Isn't that what we want here? Isn't that what we want in this church Do we want to be identified as a caring community, as a loving community, loving those who oppose themselves, to be a lighthouse, but a lighthouse that has light and heat? Are there those who you know that have wandered away from the truth? Family members, friends. What is James asking us, calling us to do? If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, did David run a walk from the truth, wander from the truth? I mean, talk about in bold letters, right? He commits adultery. He kills her, uh, the woman that he commits adultery. She gets pregnant. He hides that for a year. And finally, it requires Nathan to confront him, taking his life into his hands, because here's the king. David wandered from the truth, and he was miserable in Psalm 51. He says, he describes how miserable he was during that time. Nathan came. You're the man. You're the one. Notice it says, turns them back. Our calling is to love one another. And one of the ways that we do so is by turning them back from the error of their ways. Remember, our opinions can be deadly if not founded on God's Word. True? Our opinions that are not founded on the Word of God, can they be deadly? Yeah. Did Adam and Eve have the opinion that eating of the fruit is a good thing? Right? They listened to the opinion of the devil rather than the word of God? Thanks a lot, Adam. But notice that statement, turning them back from the error of his way. Isn't that an interesting statement? I have a hard time sometimes people saying, 
uh, when, I, when I first came to Christ, we used to go out evangelizing in, in a church, and we would go out and sharing the gospel, and we'd come back, and this one fellow, he had notches on his Bible with how many people that he saved that day. And that used to just bug me then, and it bugs me even more so now, right? Yeah, I saved three people today. No, you didn't save anyone, right? It's God who saves. However, this text here slaps me, and I, ah, what is that? Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Oh, okay. Now, how do I relate that to God saves sinners, right? Well, God saves sinners, but who does he use? Sinners. He used us, right? Instruments. Was Nathan a sinner? But God used Nathan. Was James a sinner? Did God use James? Does God use you and me? That's the amazing thing, right? As one, one person said, what is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel presentation? One beggar telling another beggar where to find bed, bread. Where to find bread. So yeah, it is our calling. Does that mean that we can do it in our own strength? Can we do it effectively apart from God and Christ and the Spirit and the Word? And the answer is no. But he chooses to do so. Notice what he says. How serious is this matter? Let him know that he turns a sinner from his, uh, the error of his way shall save a soul from Death, life and death. Serious situation. Heaven and hell, life and death. Are, we, are you concerned about those who are being led to destruction? Wandering about in the air. We live in this uh, very dark community, don't we? There's error across the street. Many people think that what, they get to heaven by being a good person. Is that the truth? No. Like I said, I met a Mormon today, this week, and we talked biblical words. They have different meaning to the same words that I'm using. Grace is something you do. And on and on. There are many who are on the highway to hell. How big is that highway? It's huge. And God says, I want to use you to be an instrument of my love. Notice that. We'll save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's so much I could say on that, but I've gone over time, so I'm going to close with just, again, reading this passage. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins End of letter. In this mindset, the last thing you say is of significant importance. You understand that? 
he ends with, go and love your neighbor as Jesus loves us. And so must you and I. Amen? Amen. Let us, let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes. And, well, let's pray first and then we'll do that. Father in heaven, we do come before you and once again we thank you that you, in your great love, while we were yet dead in trespasses and sins, you make us alive in Christ, through Christ. And you've seated us in heavenly places in Christ. And you are continuing to do that work of your spirit in sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. And we pray that you continue to do so. And we also pray that one of those aspects of being like Jesus is loving others and reaching out to the lost about us, wandering, even those who are wandering from the truth, tempted to do so. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would... Ground us in the truth like you did, Nathan. And also grant unto us the boldness to be able to love and to speak and to assist in someone who has wandered from the truth. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. And like I said, let us respond to God's word by giving up his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we do thank you for everything. The earth belongs to you and the fullness thereof. We belong to you. Everything that we have belongs to you. We are stewards. We are servants. We are managers of your resources. And we give back to you a portion of those, acknowledging that they all belong to you. We ask again, as we ask every week, for wisdom. As James says, let him ask of God. We ask for wisdom in the dispersing the use of these resources for your kingdom purposes, for the gospel to go forth, for your people to be edified, that the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we ask that you would bless, these, bless us, we pray, um, with the, le- the rest that you've placed under our hands uh, as stewards. Um, enable us to be found faithful. We desire to hear you say to us in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. We thank you also that you've commanded us as the people of God, both individually and as the corporate body, to ask, to pray. You've given us many prayers in the Bible. Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray. And one of those aspects of that prayer is to ask, to seek, to knock. And so we do so at this time. We seek your glory. We are here for your purposes. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you would be seen, your truth revealed. 
And so we ask, O Lord, for the, the truth to be first and foremost planted in our hearts, but also, as the sermon was said, that we may be sowers of truth. We do look to you for our needs, our physical needs, our spiritual needs. You are the shepherd. Provide for us, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for this church and for our elder, Dan, and we pray that you would raise up other elders and deacons in our church. We are in need of a multitude of counselors. We ask, O Lord, for that provision. We've been praying for that. We ask, O Lord, for the building up of your people. We pray for the children in the congregation. We thank you for them. We pray that you would be with their parents as they take seriously this call to disciple. Speak of you when they walk, when they sit down, when they lie down. That they would train their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we do pray for your grace and help in this endeavor. We thank you, Lord, for those that have been our disciplers, those that have discipled us when we were children. And even now, we pray that you bless them. We pray for you to pray for your blessing upon the group in uh, Weezer, Idaho, a group of families that have gathered together and are desirous to form a church there. And they're willing to come under our oversight and become part of us. And so we pray for wisdom for the classes and for the church here and for this steering committee of five families and other families as well. We pray that if it is your will, that you would enable us to be able to come alongside as we are just coming off a mission support and now we have an opportunity to help plant a mission church. We pray, O Lord, for your blessing in that endeavor. We thank you, Lord, for the other mission works throughout the world, the country, that we pray for your blessing on them. We pray for the churches that are without pastors. We thank you, Lord, that uh, David Wojtek passed his licensure and ordination exam, and uh, Lord willing, will be taking up the, the call there in Willows, California. We pray for his blessing this week as he gets married and also as he takes on uh, this first, Paul, uh, first calling. We thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of your people throughout all generations. Your word passed down from generation to generation. Help us, Lord, to carry the torch to the next. We pray for those that are in the bulletin that are mentioned. Uh, we, we think of Isaac and Ellie as they recover from the loss of their little baby, Evangeline, who just passed recently, which is in your arms now. We pray for comfort for them. We pray for Caden and for Emma as they prepare for their wedding in August. We ask for your blessing upon them and the families as they are. There's a lot of things that uh, are still to be done and preparations. We pray for peace. We pray for our brother Lee Johnson as he uh, desires to be back in the ministry, but it seems to be from reports that. He is declining and may not be able to do so. We pray that you give comfort to him and help him in accepting, if that is your will, uh, his condition. Be with his family, be with his church, 
And we pray, O oh Lord, for if it is your will, to restore him to full use of his facilities, uh, faculties, I should say. We pray for these others mentioned. We think of Trevor. We think of Paul. Think of Christy. Think of Clayton. Think of Skip. Some fighting and dealing with cancer and others recovering from surgery. We pray, O Lord, for your healing. We lay these things and the other prayers that we each have brought with us on our hearts, the concerns, the cares. We lay them, we roll them on you. And we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you will please turn with me one last time to hymn number 421. Christ shall have dominion over land and sea. Let us stand and sing of the Lordship of Jesus Christ over all.
basis of part of that um, was talking about all the kingdoms. Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And again in chapter 7. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. No, I wanted to give the benediction, but that's okay. (laughs) The best part of the service is the benediction, right? (laughs) We want God's blessing. We want God to send us out with his blessing. So receive now God's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. In other words, when he looks at you, he smiles. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.